Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend us your ears. This week we're taking a look at an author of highest esteem, William Shakespeare. And, of course, we'll look at how he has influenced composers for generations. William Shakespeare was born in 1564 in the now-famous Stratford-upon-Avon. His father was apparently a glovemaker, but also became a local politician and eventually held the position of bailiff, which is like a mayor in the town. This local renown allowed the young Shakespeare and his family to live a somewhat luxurious life in the middle class. As you likely know, there is much debate about Shakespeare's education level. Within the town of Stratford-upon-Avon, there were in fact schools, and Shakespeare likely attended them until he was at least 15. In schools during this time, Latin was still taught, as it was the favored European language. This also meant that Shakespeare would have been exposed to tales and myths of the very early classics, dating from the medieval times or earlier. The skepticism of Shakespeare's education, however, calls into question the fact that no original manuscripts of his literary works exist, let alone any personal documents he might have written. Apparently, his father was also illiterate, and it seems that his wife and children also did not really know how to read or write. A group of scholars known as the Oxfordians used this evidence to suggest that Shakespeare was either a face for or just a pen name of the Earl of Oxford, who they speculate may actually have been the author of all the works attributed to Shakespeare. The person, William Shakespeare, did exist, however, and for the remainder of this episode, we will operate under the assumption that he was the true author of these works there's quite a bit of time in Shakespeare's life before his playwriting career took off that are known as his lost years, as we don't really know what he was up to then. It has been speculated that perhaps he was a teacher, but he also could have been undergoing an acting apprenticeship. However, we first start getting some definite proof of what he was up to around 1594. During the later 1500s is when the plague was making its way through England, and often during the period between 1592 to 1594, the government would mandate the closure of theaters to prevent the spread of disease. Which is actually kind of ingenious if you think about it, because they didn't know germ theory back then. To supplement his income, Shakespeare began writing poetry. His first work was Venus and Adonis, which he dedicated to the Earl of Southampton. This dedication earned him a patronage through the Earl and also began to establish him as a professional writer. In 1594, Shakespeare joined the prestigious Lord Chamberlain's acting company. This troupe was frequently invited to give performances for the Queen herself. In addition to writing and acting, Shakespeare also invested in real estate. He bought a large house in Stratford-upon-Avon called New Place and owned some additional property. It has been recently speculated that Shakespeare actually spent more of his time in Stratford than in London, especially his later years. In 
course, he was still a frequent visitor to London. His theatre troupe formed a conglomerate that allowed for the building of the famous Globe Theatre, where many of Shakespeare's works would premiere. Shakespeare died on his supposed birthday of April 23rd in 1616. He was 52 years old, which actually seems to be quite old for the time. Scholars are unsure of his death, as there are no records of the cause of his demise. Apparently, his brother-in-law had died just a little while before him, so there is speculation that it could have been some sort of infectious disease. He did leave a will as he had amassed a good deal of wealth. To his friends, he left sums of money, and some got houses or land. To his wife, he left his second best bed. <laughs> wow. Classy. lifetime, Shakespeare only officially published 18 of his plays. However, a few years following his death in 1623, his friends from the troupe had put together a collection called The First Folio, and this contained a complete collection of all of his works. It is thanks to this publication that we still have Shakespeare's large literary output today. the bard fit into music history? Well, if you've ever even been forced to study a Shakespeare play, be it Twelfth Night, The Tempest, Romeo and Juliet, the list really does go on, then you'll have read at least one line about the power of music. Indeed, Shakespeare and his audiences regarded music as pivotal to the stories. And in these times, it was difficult for the common people to really have an opportunity to enjoy musical performances, so hearing any music was really a treat. As such, unlike film scores now that stay in the background of scenes, the music of Shakespeare was actually put onto the stage. It was made by the performers, and the characters in the story actually reacted to it. The poetry of Shakespeare was set to music a few times by his contemporaries, Thomas Morley famously produced some settings of his sonnets. However, for live stage productions, Shakespeare apparently teamed up with the composer Robert Johnson. Sadly, much of Johnson's music has been lost, perhaps because it wasn't actually published with Shakespeare's posthumous collection. But that's just the beginning of how Shakespeare and music work together. Going forward in time, we see many great composers were influenced by Shakespeare's works. Some composers wrote incidental music intended to complement the theatrical performances of the plays themselves. For example, Mendelssohn's iconic Midsummer Night's Dream. Others would take his actual works and set them to music, such as Schubert. He would write German Lieder using translations of Shakespeare's English poetry, as heard in such pieces as Anne Sylvia, with text coming from Two Gentlemen of Verona. There are other composers who liked the ideas within Shakespeare's works, but didn't want to adapt them to a full-stage production. We thus get pieces such as Dvorak's Othello Overture, which is meant to encompass the plot of Othello, all within a single orchestral sonata form movement. 
And for listeners who know the key plot points of the play, they'll be able to pick out places in the music where Dvorak alludes to those happenings. stage adaptations in the forms of operas and ballets. Verdi, though he never learned English, truly loved the works of Shakespeare that he read translated in Italian. He wrote numerous operas based on the plots and characters of Shakespeare's plays, but wrote his own libretto, the lyrics, so that it would fit better into an Italian operatic idea. One example of this is his Falstaff, which is based on Shakespeare's Merry Wives of Windsor. And of course, we have the powerful Romeo and Juliet by Prokofiev. This is a ballet, but it follows the beats of the spoken word play very nicely. Upon reading press reviews of musical Shakespeare productions, it does seem like there are right and wrong ways to do it. Using incidental music as it should be used as interstitial sound between acting seems to turn out well. Singing an opera or performing a ballet is also a go. However, recently some productions have tried to do things like play Prokofiev's ballet music in the background like a soundtrack while the spoken theatrical production is simultaneously occurring. Endeavors such as this don't seem to turn out so well, as the music and play are each so complex but in very different ways that they overpower each other and just make an artistic mess. However, Shakespeare seems to have been a visionary who was constantly looking to innovate his productions, so he would probably appreciate the spirit in which these productions are now put on. So while we know this isn't a literature podcast, we hope you have enjoyed our historical biography about the English Bard himself, and we've talked about only a few of the hundreds of pieces written based on Shakespeare's works. Now, if we've left out your favorite piece of Shakespearean music, let us know, and then maybe share that piece along with this episode to a friend after dropping us a follow on Spotify if you're listening there, or a subscribe anywhere else. If you also like us that much, you can write us a review on iTunes or Google Play. And in any case, thank you very much for listening. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Dvorak's Othello, arranged for two pianos, was performed by Christoph Zweiden. Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet Overture was performed by the DuPage Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Barbara Schubert. You can find The Coffeehouse on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com.